Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. Amen. Tonight, I want to talk with you just a little bit about Meribah. But before we do that, quickly just want to remind us all of something that Jesus talked about in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel about the sower and the seed, about the word of God. Remember Peter said that the seed of God's word is incorruptible, means it's not susceptible to decay or death, right? So that means the seed of God's word is always going to produce fruit. Isn't that true? Absolutely. So when Jesus taught the sower of the seed, actually it's the sower and the soils. You could say it that way as well. He taught that the word is incorruptible, means it's not susceptible to any kind of decay. So therefore, if it's sown in the heart of a person and that person has good soil, it will produce fruit. There's no chances of it not producing fruit. So it's not the seed that's the problem. It is the soil of the heart that's the problem with regard to producing fruit. And he talked about three other different kinds of soils within the heart or the human heart. I could say it that way. One was the hard soil by the wayside that received the word. In other words, it was callous. It couldn't receive the word of God, didn't want to receive the word of God. And so therefore the birds came up and took it away. The devil we know does that. But secondly, he also talked about the stony soil, which means it was shallow. And all of a sudden when it began to spring up because of persecution and affliction, what took place, it burned it up and didn't produce any fruit. Once again, it's not the seed, it's the soil. And then thirdly, we know he talked about the thorny, which chokes out the word so it doesn't produce any fruit. So, so you see, it's not the seed, it's the soils. And if there's a problem not receiving from God or experiencing what the word teaches that we should have, then we've got to check the soil of the heart, not the seed. Praise God, the seed will always produce a fruit if it's sown in good soil. Well, what's the good soil? In Matthew he said the good soul receives it and understands the word, understands the operation of the kingdom within the heart of a man. In Mark, he said he receives the word into his heart. He accepts it. In Luke, he said he keeps it with patience. So he protects it within the heart with patience. And what happens is it produces fruit in that person's life. So he understands it. He receives it. He protects it in his heart with patience. And what does it do? It produces fruit every time. Why? Because the seed of God's word is incorruptible, not susceptible to decay or death. It will always produce fruit wherever it is sown. So if we're not experiencing something because we got callous, because maybe something didn't work sometime, it, maybe it took longer than we thought it should take, and so we kind of aborted the faith project, or we had shallow soil within the heart and it didn't produce a fruit as quickly as we wanted it to, don't turn away from it. Don't let the enemy take the enemy take that seed away from your heart and your life, and don't get so caught up in all the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and lust of other things that we don't let the, the word soak within the heart and finally take root and produce fruit. So it's important we understand the operation of the word. It's in the heart of a man and the heart has got to be correct. The good soil will always produce fruit. Why? Because the seed is incorruptible. So with that in mind, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and look at beginning where it's from. This is from the New Living Translation. We want to talk about Meribah, which really means chide, to chide, complain, grumble, murmur, chide. You've never done that, right? 
just want to get it, make that clear. Okay? I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses, and all of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. And as the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So why were these things written? To warn us who live in the time that we're living in right now. So. It's important we understand that what took place in the wilderness is a warning for us. And so therefore we need to understand some of the things that took place as they left Egypt and began their trek to the promised land. Along the way, a lot of things took place in their lives. It's an example for us either to follow or to avoid. And obviously we want to avoid all the mistakes that they made and experience the blessings of the promised land, right? Well, one of the things that took place there in the wilderness was the waters of, Mar of uh, Meribah. Look in Psalm 81, verse 7. Thou calledest in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee at the waters of Meribah. Stop and think about that. And what he's saying is, remember Meribah. Ever hear someone say the expression, remember the Alamo? There's a lot to remember. Well, remember Meribah. Why? Because it's important to our entering into the promised land. As a matter of fact, there are two Meribahs that's talked about in Scripture here. We're going to see both of them. And they're significant in their meaning. Because if we want to experience God's best in our lives, anybody here does not want God's best in their life? Just raise your hand if you don't want God's best in your life. I believe we all want God's best, right? Well, then we have to understand some things that took place so that we experience God's best and don't make the mistake of not entering into God's best like Moses and Aaron did because of something that took place at Meribah. And so we want to avoid that. Now, in the book of Exodus chapter 17, we have the first Meribah. And so let's read that. They just came out of Egypt. You know the story there. They went to the Red Sea and all that. And they get to a place where they need water. All the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people were excited and thankful for everything that they had. No, they were, they, what did they do? Chide with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, 
Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? You ever been there before? Have you? What am I going to do with these people that you surrounded me with? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock of Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel. Meribah means chiding. And because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This first generation of people that came out of Egypt had problems with water. They come out of Egypt, they face a Red Sea, too much water. It's a problem here. But God tells Moses to do what? Stretch forth the rod and what happens to the waters? They part and they get across on dry land. Then they come to the bitter waters of Marah. And of course, they can't drink the water. They're not happy about that. And what happens? God tells Moses to cast in what? A tree. A dead tree, a type of the cross, into the water to make the waters sweet. And now, here they are at Meribah. And they're chatting with Moses once again, complaining because there's no water to drink. Here now, they have not enough water. You could say they have no water, you know, whatsoever. So they're not happy. They're very upset. And they get angry. And they blame Moses, of course, for their problem. Always take it to the leader. Blame the leader. And what do they want to do? They're about to kill him. Is what they're about to do. Well, not only did they have problems with water, they also had problems with unbelief. They were supposed to be believers, but they were embalmed with unbelief. Now, they complained while they were actually being blessed of the Lord. Think about it. Put yourself where they were. The ten plagues take place in Egypt, and they're protected from all the plagues. If there's frogs invading the place, it's not their house. If there's darkness invading the place, it's not their place. If there's blood in their water system, it's not in their water system. They are divinely protected by the hand of God. An ongoing miracle right there in, in front of all the people. All the Egyptians saw it. And then the death of the firstborn, theirs didn't die, but the others did. They were divinely protected. And then they came out. As they came out, there was a cloud by day and a fire by night. This is an ongoing thing. They see it by day and by night. They're being blessed as they trek through the wilderness. It provides for them air conditioning and heating. And it also keeps the enemy away from them. Because you see it provided light during the night so they can travel during the night. And create some distance between themselves and the enemy who was pursuing them. All these things are happening. Uh, also their clothing we understood grew on them. That will put a stop to the buying clothing, the clothing bill and shoes and all that, right? But they also came out with silver and gold 
And there wasn't one feeble among their tribe, meaning they were all healed. So they were all restored to health, wholeness, well-being, soundness of mind, energy, uh, all that they needed. Everything. They had everything. They even had in their mouths angels' food that they were eating while they were complaining, where's God at? They're murmuring and chiding and complaining while they're being blessed. Look in the book of uh, Psalms, Psalm 78. And had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. So here they are eating meat to the full, angels' food, clothing growing on them, no bill whatsoever for Nikes or anything like that. And here they are with all the silver, the gold, and everything you could possibly imagine. And what are they doing? Complaining while they're being blessed. You realize it's easy for people to do that even today? The blessing of the Lord is upon us, yet people are complaining every single day about what they don't have because they don't recognize what they do have in Christ and all that he's already provided for us. And all we have to do is acknowledge it and we're going to talk about that in just a moment so we can experience it and walk in the light of it. But they just chatted. They were complaining. They were upset. The book of Hebrews goes on to tell us some things about how God viewed this. But first it starts in Psalm 95. Look at Psalm 95 beginning at verse 7 through 11. This is God's view. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me pro proved me and saw my work 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest God has already provided for them a way to enter into the rest that he had provided for them. And yet because they are embalmed with unbelief, they refuse to get into the promised land that he provided for them. You see it also in Hebrews. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 3. Twice is that same statement repeated in the book of Hebrews. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in a provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do all we err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Why did not the Israelites enter into the rest of God? Because they erred in their heart. They didn't know God's ways and they were filled with and full of unbelief. That's the official reason why they didn't enter into the blessings of God, the fullness of God's blessings. Well, look at the book of Numbers, because here now we have the second time. This is 38 to 39 years after the first Exodus experience. So the people in Exodus 17, they just came out of Egypt, and that's the first Meribah. But the second one is like 38 years later, meaning that those who came out were going to die in the wilderness. Remember he said 40 years you're going to live and die in the wilderness? Remember that? Only those that were 19 years and un uh, younger than that are the ones that went in. I mean, I mean they, they still lived rather. They still lived. So really, if you put that together, if you were just born during that time, old as you could be is 38 or 39 years old. If you're already 19 years old, you're 57 at, the, at this time when this is happening here at the second Mar Meribah. So let's read that with that in mind. Chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. 
Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh. The first one was, about, was at Mount Sinai, but now they're at Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Keep that in mind. Moses just lost his sister Marion, and she's being buried. They have a funeral service for her. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Their sister just died. But yet, what did they do? The people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. He's doing great. And Moses and Aaron gathered a congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. God didn't say to say that, did he? Must we fetch water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand. And with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank. And their beasts also. And the Lord, no, God was merciful. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. This second generation also had a problem with water, and they also had a problem with doubt and unbelief. Now, some of them were very young at that time as they began this journey or this trek. How did they know about all these things if it wasn't for the parents that were living with them during that time or the older ones that were there and continue to tell them about the things that they had back in Egypt? So before they all died off, they told them about the things they had, about the pomegranates, about this, about that, all the wonderful things that they had back in Egypt, how they had fish to eat and all. But they forgot about the slavery, I guess, that they were in back in Egypt. Otherwise, these wouldn't have the same attitude that their parents had. But they've got the same attitude that their parents had. There they are, and they're about one or two years away to enter in the promised land, which they did under Joshua, and we'll get to that in a moment. But they're complaining, they're chiding with Moses and with Aaron because we're coming out here to die. We're going to die. We're going to, our, our livestock's going to die. We're going to die. Our children are going to die, et cetera, et cetera. That's all they can think of. Why'd you bring us out here? Complaining and chiding. Again, Meribah means to complain and to chide. Well, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 because there's something important to know about the rock. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And they did, and all, did all drink the same spiritual drink 
for they drank out of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Who was the rock that was there in the wilderness? Christ was the rock that was there in the wilderness. Now if you go back to the book of Exodus where it talks about the rock that was smitten with the rod and the rod could stand for the rod of God's power and the rod of God's judgment. The, the Hebrew word there is sur, T-S-U-R for the, for the rock that was there. And it's a jagged rock. It's a sharp rock. And when he hit that jagged sharp rock with the rod, it brought forth water. But that is a type of Christ, the rock, being smitten with the judgment of God, the rod of judgment, taking our place and redeeming us by the sacrifice that he made for us. And we can see this in Isaiah 53 and verse 4, where it clearly says that he was smitten. Look at this. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And it goes on to say he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and so on. But he was smitten with the rock, and the rock was a sharp, jagged rock, and water came out of it. And what that represents is the fact that because he was smitten and stricken for us, the waters of salvation pour out from him. He is the life giver. He's the salvation giver. He's the one that redeemed us, but it took striking him in order to make that available to all mankind. And so that was the first. So by taking our judgment, he provides for us redemption and salvation. But now you go to Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, it's not the same word that's used for rock. It's Sela, S-E-L-A. And Sela means it is an elevated rock. A rock of elevation, a smooth, high place rock. And it stands for the resurrection and the exaltation of Christ when he was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. After Paul, in this same chapter, talks about how Jesus became a man, robed himself in flesh, was obedient to death, the death of the cross. And then Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, it says, Wherefore? Wherefore what? Because he was smitten in Exodus chapter 17 with the rod of judgment by the Father. He became the giver of salvation, and the waters of salvation flow out of him. God highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Things or beings in heaven, earth or beneath the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So here we see this other word means an elevated or rock of elevation. And so he was elevated to the place. The highest place in the universe. Because he was smitten in Exodus 17. With the rod of judgment, our judgment. Now, as you go to Psalm 78, which is powerful, it's a, it's a psalm that talks about this whole trek from Egypt all the way to the promised land. Notice in verses 15 and 16 of Psalm 78, both words are used. He claved the rocks, sur, T S U R, in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. Then he brought streams also out of the rock, Sela. S-E-L-A, and cause waters to run down like rivers. So in other words, because he was the smitten rock in Exodus 17, he's the elevated rock in 
Numbers 20, and the rivers of water of life flow down from above and we tap into those waters, praise God, by not striking the rock the second time, but by speaking to the rock. These people that come against confession, confession of your faith, they apparently don't understand this concept. Because people are wanting God to do something again and again and again. There is no striking the Lord again and again and again. He's already done everything he needed to do to redeem us from our fallen state and reconcile us back to our Father. He's already provided for us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We don't bring those things down from heaven into our lives by striking the rock. We bring them down into our lives by confessing that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father and we accept by faith what he's done for us. The profession of our faith. The confession of our faith. Praise God. Look at the book of Romans chapter 10. We should know this. He was crucified, resurrected, and exalted. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And whosoever will can confess him before men. Speak to him. Not smite him or strike him. But what saith it? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that what? Call upon him, not smite him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. So, number one, what did he do to the first rock? He hit the rock, right? But the second rock he was supposed to speak to. And you know what some commentators believe and say? Moses, because of his first experience some 38 years prior to this, saw water come out of the rock when he smote the rock. But this time when he was told to speak to the rock, because of his prior experience, he had a hard time believing that water would come out of that rock by just his speaking to it. What does that tell us today about what people think? There's something that has to be done other than, you mean just confess it? You mean just say it? You mean just speak it? Yeah, that's exactly what he said to do. He said to confess it. He said to declare it. He said to proclaim it. Jesus said, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Well, they said he, was a, he didn't believe that water can come out of that rock by just speaking to the rock. So what did he do? He got angry with the people. He was frustrated, and he smites the rock two times. Must we get water out of the rock for you? You don't have to hit Jesus again. He doesn't have to be crucified a second time. All we have to believe is, the work has been done. Provision has been made. Salvation is a free gift. How do we receive it? Just talk to him. Call upon his name. He's already saved us. He's already healed us. He's already delivered us. He's already provided for us the Holy Spirit, etc., etc. It's all ours. All we have to do is call upon his name and receive from on high. Now, the sin of unbelief is found in Numbers 20 and verse 12. Let's look at that one more time. 
before we leave it. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believed me not. Now, if anybody knows the answer to the question, why did he do it? Wouldn't it be God himself? Because you believe me not. To sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. What judgment fell upon him for hitting the rock and not speaking to the rock? He's denied entrance into the fullness of the blessings of God. And beloved, I'll tell you what, if we want to enter in the fullness of the blessings that we have, we've got to learn to speak. Speak to the source of our supply. It's already been provided. It's already been supplied. It's ours for the taking. Take your promised land. Now, because of his anger, frustrations, and doubt, he didn't experience God's best, but there's something else to add to that. Look in Romans chapter 9 and verse 33. You realize that that rock is now considered to even to this day a rock of offense to Jews and Gentiles alike. Look at this. As it is written, behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. This is Paul talking about that rock. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block to the Greeks foolishness. Look at Peter's perspective in 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning at verse 5. You also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You know priests have a right to approach God and speak to him. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also you were appointed. So he's saying that we've been appointed priests so that we can go to the throne of God and we can speak, praise God, to our Savior, our Redeemer. We can call upon his name and receive from him all the blessings he has provided for us. But to the, Jew, to the Jews that don't believe that he was the rock, the Messiah, who was smitten in the wilderness and then should have been spoken to the second time around, to him, to them, he's a stumbling block or a rock of offense. And to the Gentiles or the Greeks, as it says in Corinthians, same thing. He's just, it's just foolishness. How can that provide salvation? Beloved, man wants to think he can do something on his own. But you know what? We can't save ourselves. We can't do anything ourselves. But someone did everything for us. And we have a full supply of anything and everything that we need. And it's found in Christ Jesus, the rock of our salvation. And all we have to do is proclaim it, declare it, decree it. And I know it sounds too easy. And I know people make fun of it. I hear them all the time on television and radio. Oh, you name it, claim it, people. All you do is believe that you can get something by believing it and saying it. I like to just, if I could dial them up right away and just say, how did you get saved? You believed it and you spoke it or you said it. Romans 10, 8 through 10. And you teach that also. Why are you limiting God's people to just the 
getting into the doorway. When anything and everything provided for us in Christ comes the same way by faith. As a matter of fact, look at Hebrews chapter 4. And remember how we started the warning. What was the warning? This is a warning, an admonition to all people to learn from this lesson in the wilderness of what took place, how the rock was smitten, and then he refused to speak to it. And as a result, they were kept out of the promised land. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Notice it's a warning. That's what an admonition is. It's a strong warning given to the people. Just as they were kept out because of unbelief, we could be kept out because of unbelief. So look at the warning. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. Why not being mixed with faith in them that heard it? For we which have believed to enter into rest, as he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter my rest. Although the works were finished, from the foundation of the world. What is the warning? The warning is unbelief. The warning is speak to the situation or speak to the Savior, the Redeemer, and receive all the things that he has provided for us. And that's how we enter into rest. Now, this is so important. Joshua was then taken by God because Moses died. And these same people that were chiding at the second Meribah, guess what his responsibility was? To take those individuals and teach them faith. He was responsible to take them and teach them faith and instruct them how to receive from God. And remember in Joshua chapter 1 what he said? Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from out of your mouth. You should meditate therein day and night that you may be able to observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. So can you imagine being the one that was called on by God, Joshua, to take all these chiding people that were complaining and murmuring at the second Meribah, the place of chiding, and say, look, it's time for a change in your lives. It's, it's time to stop the way you think, stop the way you talk, and start agreeing together with God. And I've taught this before, and you know it. I've taught it many times, but I'll tell you what, we need to hear it over and over and over again. You know why redemption is complete? We have a full supply of anything and everything that we need to succeed. It's up to us to believe it and declare it and cooperate with God so it could become a reality. He taught them these principles. He taught them, number one, your enemy is defeated. You facing something tonight, it's defeated. God wants us to have this kind of an attitude that says, my situation has been defeated at the cross by the blood of Jesus Christ. As far as I'm concerned, the devil's been defeated. He's been overcome by my Savior, by my Redeemer, and by my Lord. He is defeated. Whatever it is, lack is defeated, fear is defeated, worry is defeated, anxiety is defeated, sickness is defeated, disease is defeated, financial uh, peril is defeated. It's all defeated by the hand of Almighty God, and I'm going to proclaim it. I'm going to declare it. I'm going to decree it. He said, number two, your enemy is defeated, and you've got a covenant relationship with the Most High God. I have a covenant with God. You have a covenant with God. That means that God has given himself over to us, and he's 
sealed it in blood and he's proclaimed, declared and decreed that I will be to you all that you need me to be in my life. I stake on it. If I go back on one of my words, anything I've spoken, any promise, then I die. I forfeit my life. But I'm telling you right now, God cannot lie. He's not a man to lie or the son of man to repent. God wants us to proclaim it, declare and decree it. Praise God that I'm in a covenant relationship with the most high God like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And my God has already delivered me from the burning fiery furnace. Hallelujah. Number three, remember where you were, remember where you are, and remember how you got out. You were in slavery in Egypt, and God got you out by a mighty hand with the power of his might and brought you to a place where there's a promised land. You and I were in, this, in darkness, bound up by the kingdom of darkness. We were under the jurisdiction of, the, of Satan himself, but praise God, God got us out. God pulled us up out of the miry clay and brought us into his, his kingdom of love where our feet are planted upon solid ground. And thank God, praise God, we're, we're no longer under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of darkness. That's where we were. That's not where we are. And we need to start saying that. You have no power over me. Nothing from your kingdom has any power over me or over my life whatsoever. And then number four, the day of man, it's a new day. Manna has ceased. It's a brand new day. Yes, God spoon fed them with angels food from heaven as it came down and provided for all their every need but the time is come, he's come that he says put on the big boy and, and and big girl pants and just take your stand and start declaring that my God supplies all my needs according unto his riches and glory by Christ Jesus I'm going to take the authority that my God has given me and I'm going to proclaim that I am free I am healed I'm delivered I've been made whole my God's on my side he's for me who can possibly be against me I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me I am praise God living in a new day it's the day of salvation and God's saving grace number five I am not alone at this just like they were so afraid to go into the promised land because they said who are we to match all those giants that are in the land you got something big you're facing some giant that's out there some walls that are out there that are put up and so strong that you can't penetrate those walls no you can't in your own strength but you're not alone praise God the captain of the host of the army of the living God is on your side to fight for you to defend you to go before you praise God and to take you in and drive out all the land or the hand of the enemy that's upon the land because that land belongs to you and not to him praise God and number six he's already given us the land in the first place it already belongs to us whatever it is you're looking for start declaring it's mine it's mine it's salvation is mine healing is mine deliverance is mine financial help is mine assistance is mine strength is mine it belongs to me sanity belongs to me praise God hallelujah worry's not mine anxiety's not mine I got a sound mind praise God amen this is what this life is all about. It's called the great confession. He's the high priest of our what? Confession. We confess it. And finally, the last thing is, do whatever he tells you to do. Walk around those walls once every day for six days. On the seventh day, walk around seven times and blow the sound of the trumpet and shout with the shout of victory. Why is the mouth always involved in this thing? Shout, because confession is what it's all about. I proclaim it, I declare it, I decree it, and I open up the door to God's greater blessings in my life in doing so. So the bottom line is this. Redemption has already been provided. The work of God's already been done. The Savior has already been smitten in the first place, praise God, and now he's not going to be smitten ever again. All we have to do is speak. We don't have to strike, praise God. Just speak the word over the situation and watch the hand of God move in great power and might in all of our lives. And you might be saying, well, I tried that once and it just didn't pan out. Wait a minute. Go back to the sower and the seed. 
keep that seed is incorruptible. It's not susceptible to decay or death. That seed has life in it, and that seed will produce praise God in any person's life whose heart understands it, receives it, keeps it protected in there with patience, and it will come forth. You say, what if I find myself in a situation where I've got, we've all been there where we've got pain in our body. We've all been there when uh, maybe it seems like the money's running out. You know what he wants us to do when the money's running out? My God supplies all my need according unto his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I am not focusing on my lack. I'm focusing on his supply. He has supplied all my need. Let's take it into every realm that we really walk in in life. Take it to our government. You know what? I know he said back then, humble yourself, praise, and, and seek his face, turn from wicked ways. It's time for us to take a bold stand of faith and start declaring this nation is under a great spiritual awakening. And the hand of God is upon this nation. And God is touching the hearts and touching the minds of leaders, praise God. And he's trying to get them to shape up or ship out. Either you bow and you honor me, my word, my way, and my will. Otherwise, you'll be removed from your office. I'll put people in there that will honor me and glorify me and bring forth my will here in the United States of America. Because he raised up this nation to protect protect Israel, to be a blessing to Israel, and we have been a blessing to Israel all these years, and that's why we've been a blessed people over all these years. That's, that's why this nation, in short 200 and some years, has advanced beyond any other nation in the world. Why? Because we're so good? No, but because we came here serving the living God and wanting to honor Him in this place in our lives. Praise God. So we believe and we declare and we proclaim, we decree that the hand of God is upon this nation. There's a great revival that's going on right now. In your family, the same thing is true. When you see maybe your son or your daughter not serving the Lord, don't play into that. I call him back. I call her back into fellowship with the living God. I say that person is brought home from the land of the enemy to his own borders where he or she will serve you faithfully all the days of his life. And you know what? When they spoke the word over there in Joshua chapter 6, guess what happened? They saw the glory fall once again. The glory fell. The power of God fell. It was the rod, praise God, that represented the word either of judgment or power. And they saw the Red Sea part. And they saw the walls come down as they shouted and proclaimed. So they didn't have to strike anything. They just had to shout. No wonder that's where we're at right now. All we have to do is shout. All we have to do is confess and declare and decree. It's mine. I've got it. When the devil says, you're not going to get it, say, too late. I've already got it. Too late. I've already got it. Don't look like you have it. I didn't say it looked like I have it. I got it. I have it because Jesus bought and paid for it. He purchased it. It's not just a promise. It's a purchase. If he purchased it for me, it's mine. If you can get families come together like this, husbands and wives, and just start saying, praise God, I say that nothing, no weapon formed against us will prosper in, in this family, in our lives, in our marriage, with our children. As far as we are concerned, praise God, we're under the hand of God's protection. And the hand of God is upon us. And you know, anywhere and everywhere we go, he goes before us. And there is a wall. You want to talk about a wall? There's a wall of angels around us. Anywhere and everywhere we go, there's a wall of angels around this property. Every single, every, every day, not just when we meet, but every single day, praise God. There is a wall around this country that the enemy will not gainsay or, or come against and resist and overpower. Why? Because we proclaim it, we declare it, we decree it. Will we do our part? Yeah. But God can do a whole lot more than we can. Remember the, the breach in the wall of prayer testimony? How they were traveling? 
with all these goods and they knew that as they were traveling down the road it was a road where all the bandits were and the bandits were going to come and, and, and take things from them but they were Christians and they had a lot of goods and they were taking it from one point A to point B and it was a long journey it was a long trip and the person that was leading it was a Christian and he knew I need to pray and so he got other believers together they prayed they believed God and they believed for divine protection and safety all the way there to get the goods to where it had to go and first night Second night, third night, they camped out, they camped out, they camped out, and they were divinely protected all the way. Fourth night, all of a sudden, uh, an enemy comes in to the camp and wakes up the leader and says to the leader, what's going on here? And the leader says, well, what do you mean? He said, look, I've been trying to get into this camp for the, for the last two or three nights. And every time at night, when night falls, we try to get in, there's these walls around you. All these walls are put up around you and we can't get in. Where'd you get these portable walls? And the guy says, we have no portable walls. What are you talking about? Well, then how in the world, where'd they, where'd they come from? He said, well, answer me this question. How'd you get in tonight? He said, well, there's one little breach in the wall I found. And I just came in through that little breach. And here I am. He said, you know what? Those first three nights I prayed in faith. He said, last night when I went to bed at night, I didn't really pray in faith. I just kind of went through it, the motions of it. He says, you got in through the, that breach in the wall of prayer. You know, I, I, I let my guard down. And what happened? That guy and all of his bandits got saved as a result of seeing in these walls that were made visible, probably set up by angels that didn't cost anything that Mexico didn't pay for. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Think about that. So when you confess and declare God's word and someone says, I don't believe that, that's up to them. I believe it. I'll tell you, I believe in the confession of our faith because it is clearly taught in the scriptures Old Testament, New Testament, if you want saved, you better call upon the name of Jesus. You can't work for your salvation. You, you can only confess for it. And you declare and confess what Jesus has already done. My Savior's been smitten once. And praise God, all I'm going to do is call upon his name now. I'm going to speak to him in faith, believing. Lord, this is what you said. I just believe I receive it. I confess you before men. And I thank you for confessing me before my Father in heaven. Let's stand together before the Lord.